Welcome to Motherhood Designed, a podcast about balancing all aspects of life as a mother. Join me, Gabriella Dokus, each week as I sit down with a different guest to discuss how they've designed their own version of motherhood. In this episode, I'm talking to Jennifer Teplin, licensed clinical social worker and the founder of boutique psychotherapy practice, Manhattan Wellness. As a mom herself and therapist who specializes in supporting women, Jennifer had so much to share about her own experience with motherhood, as well as what kinds of support she thinks all moms can benefit from. Our conversation covered everything from the pros and cons of social media, to what issues couples face following the birth of a child, to differentiating the mom you thought you'd be from the mom you are. Not only was Jennifer amazing to talk to on a personal level, but this episode is full of great advice from someone who's helped dozens of women through the challenging years of new motherhood. I hope you take as much from the conversation as I did. So today I am welcoming Jennifer Teplin, the founder and clinical director of Manhattan Wellness. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Me as well. We've had a lot of creatives on this podcast and female founders, which is so incredible, but I'm also really excited to dive into somewhat of a new profession for this podcast with counseling and therapy. I think it'll be a great perspective. So let's start with a little bit about you. So where you live, how long you've been with your partner, how many kids you have and their ages, and anything else that you think might be relevant about your early years that informs who you are today. So I live in Greenwich Village in Manhattan with my husband, Danny, and we've been together for about eight years now, and our daughter, Lane, is about to be 11 months old. And I think when I think back to my early years, what really comes to mind is how Danny and I talked about parenting and what we thought it would look like and when we thought we would want to become parents, and we were very lucky that we became pregnant a month into trying. So we had talked about it for a very long time, what we thought it would look like. Of course, it looks nothing like what we <laughs> pictured because you know what you picture in your mind is a TV show. And once I was pregnant, we were very excited, but I think we then jumped into our next cluster of expectations and what we imagined it would look like. And again, everything is different, but I think working really hard in my years before getting pregnant set me up to, you know, have the lifestyle and the life I wanted once I became pregnant. And it's something that I speak to clients about so often who say, oh, I think I need to get pregnant as quickly as possible. I would not recommend anyone get pregnant before they really want to be Mm -hmm. pregnant. It is so not casual to have a baby and we only have one and we hope for more. But I think as the family grows, the chaos and the complexities grow. Yep. So I'm very happy that we took the time that we needed to be in the right space to begin our family. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also, I went to college in New York and I think it's kind of a, New York City is, they definitely have an, a later average first child age. Um, yes. And it's interesting how that plays into it in terms of readiness and, and where the role that career plays in women's lives as they start to plan their families. I've had guests from all over the country at this point, and it's interesting to hear the geographical influence of of motherhood, honestly. No, it makes complete sense. And I think especially in the South, I think 
the narrative and the story and how people experience is extremely different than mm-hmm. what I see, especially in New York, but I think primarily in the Northeast. Yep. Um, so I can already tell we're going to have a great conversation, lots to talk about. Um, but can you share a little bit about Manhattan Wellness um, and your role in founding it? Yes. So I went to Columbia School of Social Work. And when I graduated, I was lucky enough to begin at a private practice that saw all adults. And a lot of private practices specialize in adults. There's nothing wrong with it. But you wouldn't go to a general practitioner for heart surgery, right? Right. And throughout my first few years of being in private practice, I was seeing such a wide variety of clients. And while I was able to support them and I thought I was doing great work, I didn't feel like I was a specialist and I didn't feel that I was getting in enough reps to call myself a specialist. So I always give this sports metaphor. I am not into basketball, but if someone wanted to shoot a slam dunk, they would routinely, routinely practice that one singular move. They wouldn't be necessarily practicing 12 different shots. And I like to think once I got clarity on wanting to specialize in women and wanting to specialize in women through transitionary periods of their lives, I really honed in on trainings and more particularly really honed in on which clients I was focusing my work on. So I was really referring other clients to people that I identified in specialties that they were looking for. And then I really was holding on to that young professional woman, that um, young woman graduating from college, Mm -hmm. that young woman living in the city, dating in New York and getting engaged. And then for the past few years, really focusing my energy particularly on the woman who is getting married, getting engaged, thinking about family planning and supporting her into that motherhood stage. So Manhattan Wellness really has become the go-to space for professional women in their 20s and 30s experiencing a whole range of things, but I would say most common would be anxiety, depression, self-esteem, dating, relationships, motherhood, and those life transitions. Um, And then lastly, what I like to call life optimization. So everything in my life is going pretty good, but I believe things could feel better. I believe that I could be functioning at a higher frequency. And, you know, my practice is really focused in being relatable My therapists, by no means do we have the hierarchy of therapist and patient. We call everyone our client, and our goal is to really feel like someone's older sister, supporting them, challenging, giving them the tools, but really growing with the client and having the conversation feel extremely conversational, like you're sitting in our living room. And we find that that is really what the population is looking for, Mm -hmm. and it's crazy to me that there's no other practice in Manhattan that is as specialized and as... um, outspoken about who their clientele is. So I find that we're doing a really great job in letting women know that we exist and giving them a space of the exact support that they're looking for once they find us. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I love your focus. I think specializing on young women, I, I mean, young people in general undergo so much transition in their early 20s and, you know, as they get married and have kids. But I think that... That transition is exacerbated in young women, especially because of the challenge of of motherhood. And, you know, I want to have kids. Will I find the right person? Should I 
settle for this person because I want the kids. You know, yeah, what is my life moving mindset. towards? Right. So I, I, I love that. And it sounds like you have a very well-rounded perspective on the services that you offer to young women. So tell us a little bit how you got to where you are in your career, because you mentioned your, your master's degree from Columbia. That is a lot of work. And I know it's also a long, a lot of long hours at the beginning for not a lot of pay. Um, so how, what did that process look like for you? So it really starts back from probably when I was five years old. So growing up, I had a stay-at-home mom, but she was the stay-at-home mom that did everything. So she was the head of hiring for the preschool that I attended. She was always the PTA parent. She was building out the systems that a nonprofit needed. She was the busiest stay-at-home mom doing everything for everyone. And she told myself and my younger sister, it was my older brother, I was the middle, and then my younger sister. And she said to us particularly, have a job where you can work for yourself or have a job where you can control your hours so that you can be successful, grow a career. And when you want to have children or grow your family, you have the flexibility and the choice to dial it back if you needed to or just modify so you can be there for your children. She loved being a stay-at-home mom. But I think she saw the limitations and realized how passionate she was about making a difference outside of the home. Mm -hmm. So from a very young age, I knew that I was either going to be entrepreneurial or I knew that I was going to have a career with set hours. So I ended up as a therapist and my sister ended up being a nurse. So clearly we were actively listening to her. And when I decided to become a therapist, it was really based on the idea that I loved supporting people. And I loved carving out a space for someone to express themselves. So once I had clarity of wanting to be a therapist, I chose Columbia School of Social Work because I wanted to be New York based and I wanted to get the best training possible. So I lived in Tribeca. And for those who don't know New York, that is at the bottom of the island. Mm -hmm. And Columbia was at 123rd Street. (laughs) So it was over 125 streets of difference. And I would get on the subway every morning with my podcast or my audiobook. And I would get to school. I would be there for about nine hours. And then the last class ended at 8 p.m. And I would get back on my subway and go down to the bottom of the island again. And it was so not realistic, but I was passionate about what I was doing. I was energized. And I worked extremely hard. And my first you have placements in social work school. And my first one was in a locked psychiatric ward in the Bronx. Oh, wow. And it definitely was not exactly what I wanted to be doing. When I got the placement, I thought, oh my God, how am I going to pull this one off? But it was the most unbelievable experience because everything I was learning in school, I was seeing in front of me. So it's very different doing a training or reading about something in a book Versus seeing a diagnosis in real life and seeing an actual person going through it and having to jump in headfirst to be the support for them. So it was an amazing experience. And I really feel like I got clarity on what each diagnosis was and realistically how you can treat someone. So similar to motherhood, you can read, you know, 12 hours by 12 weeks, but When you're seven weeks in and the baby's hysterically crying, it's really hard to reference back that one page that tells you exactly what to do. And I think the same is true for mental health care. And in my second year, I worked at something called the Renfrew Center. It was an eating Mm -hmm. disorder clinic because I thought I really was passionate about working with eating disorders. And that's where I realized it's not that I was 
extremely passionate about working with eating disorders, which I am, but it was that population that had the eating disorder, which was that young woman in her 20s and 30s. Unfortunately, it is rampant in that community. Mm -hmm. So I think my first year in school really showed me diagnosis and intensity. And the second gave me that clarity of the population that I loved. And then I really hustled for a handful of years at a prior practice. And then I proudly opened Manhattan Wellness and crossed my fingers and toes and to this day, we have had a wait list and we're ever expanding and just trying to come up with new ways to support the professional woman. I love that. And I loved your analogy about social work being similar to motherhood. Um, I would not have thought about it that way, but it is so true. I mean, y- you read so much as a, as a mom and you mentioned earlier preparing yourself to be a parent. I'm sure there was reading and research involved in that. And then once the child is actually in front of you, you're like, okay, like, how can I apply? Now what? <laughs> right. Like, it was so much different when it was in the book. So it, it sounds like it was actually a good preparation for motherhood um, in kind of a, a roundabout way. How did your personal life line up with the process of getting that degree and, and getting your placements and then eventually opening Manhattan Wellness? It's a great question. So I coincidentally met my husband truly two weeks before graduation from social work school. So I didn't have much distraction before then. Um, I really, you know, throughout my life felt very lucky to be partnered. I had a few great boyfriends along the way. And when I was in graduate school, I was actually with someone who was lovely. And I remember thinking to myself, this can't be it. What a nice, kind human. But you know, I feel like this would be a really great companion. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in that moment, and a lot of our clients, we see this, think to yourself, okay, is this good enough? Um, or am I willing to take that risk and believe that there's something more? And I'm so happy that I was happy to, excited to take that risk, honestly, although it was scary. And I was lucky enough to have one of my best friends who I actually work with currently Um, introduced me to my husband, who was her boyfriend's dear friend. And when we were set up, everything sort of aligned. I had recently graduated. My husband was in law school. And the first few years, we were just surviving. I was making little to no money. He was still in school. And I think it really taught us to enjoy the little things and enjoy each other's company and make the best out of circumstances. And you know, to this day, we still sit around and we now have this life that we always dreamed of. And we laugh about, you know, the time that we had to go to Chipotle on a Friday night, because that's what was in our bank account. Right. Um, And it's just nice to, you know, start from a bottom rung of being, you know, a 23, 24 year old, and now being in my 30s and feeling like my husband and I have grown together in a way I couldn't have imagined. And it's hard to picture or kind of dreamscape what even 10 years from now could look like together. But we're very excited. That's such a good point. I've I've spoken to so many women who kind of, as I talk to them, we, we talk about the steps that they took to get where they are. And you look at your life 10 years ago, and it's 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 cool to see all the pieces fall together retrospectively um but it's it's also interesting to think about how the pieces will fall forward and how your different your life will probably look from how you think it will in another 10 Absolutely. years and i find that everyone's afraid to dream big myself included so whenever i 
think or say out loud, this is what I want it to be. It's always sort of playing a little small and it's not on purpose, but I think it's very scary for myself and for most people to really write their dreams out or to state that big dream out loud. And I think it's just a fear of our own criticism, really. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that one. It's, it's a good reminder for all of us. So you are now the mom. Um, you mentioned, you know, your relationship with your husband, how that evolved, planning to have kids, building your business, and you now have your 11-month-old daughter. Um, so she's almost one, which is a, a big milestone, making it through that first year of motherhood. What has that been like for you, that experience? And if you have you faced any challenges that were unexpected? I really think the biggest learning space for me was the mother I pictured that I would be versus the mother I am today. And like I said earlier to you, you can read all of the books, you can get all of the advice and it all sounds great. But when you are experiencing it yourself, you got to pivot, you have to get creative. And I think I pictured myself as the mom on Instagram that you see after the 55 photos they take the one good one. Um, and when I sat with my reality at the beginning, I was extremely overwhelmed. I couldn't figure out how everybody did this. And once I gave myself permission to realize, okay, here's how I'm going to mother. And it's going to be informed by 50 different things that I've read, heard, seen, but I'm going to allow myself to be the expert. I think that's really when I found my stride. So when I was okay letting someone know that a plan didn't work for me, even though another mother of a young child was cool with it, that I wasn't and that I didn't feel shame, embarrassment, or judgment towards myself, that's really when I started to feel confident. So I think I'm very clear on what works for me, my daughter, my husband, and where I'm comfortable being flexible. And outside of that, giving myself permission to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do really, really, really is what has enabled, I think, myself as a mother, my husband as a father, and my daughter, Lane, as the child to thrive. And I think also really learning to ask for help and being okay to be helped is something that I never really needed before. And I wonder how my life would have gone if I actually allowed people to help me prior. Mm -hmm. But really asking for the help and finding the good support that you trust, to me, has been key in, you know, being successful. But I would say, you know, the challenges that we've faced that I've gotten used to are really the yearning that I have to be with Lane 24-7. I pictured myself as the mother that would have their child, of course, love their child, but, you know, really get back into whatever that life was previously. And anyone who knows me has realized I am still myself, but I feel like I have a new identity. And my priority really is being a mother first. And I love my job and I will always be passionate about my career, but there's this new flexibility that I have in realizing that it's okay if I don't do everything 180%, that 130 for me is enough now. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. And I'm, so much of it is predicated on what you started with, which is, you know, the mother that you pictured versus the mother that you are. And I think, so many of us set up these expectations of like, I can do it all. I can be the perfect Instagram mom. You know, I I don't need help. I will be able to 
you know, maintain my, my life and my social life and, and nothing will change of the things that I love, but I will also be this perfect mom. And it's, you know, we set up these expectations for ourselves. And really what it comes down to is you have to be okay with, like you said, not being the mother that you pictured, but the mother that you actually are and that works for your family. It's very freeing once you get to that place. And again, I'm sure that the mother I am will constantly be evolving and we're hoping to get pregnant with a second. And I'm sure that will add some new complications into the mix. But I really just find that laughter and curiosity have probably been the two biggest things um, for me as a mother. So laughing when, you know, Lane's diaper blows out on me (laughs) when I was the first few months in. And now I would say, you know, we've gotten that under control, of course, but curiosity of if what I'm doing is best for me and my family. And if in any given moment, there's maybe a way that could make things simpler or easier or more accommodating. So it's really giving up being perfect and also giving up knowing everything. I love and how I found your podcast, honestly, is through just kind of clicking down that rabbit hole in a positive way of resources for mothers and finding relatable mothers. And what I loved about what you were sharing is all of these women are successful in their own right and however we want to define it, but it really enabled me to realize I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to do my job and come home and take care of my daughter, but you know, In parenting, I find that there are a lot of alone moments and moments that can feel isolating. And when you realize that everybody's doing it, even though they're not doing it in the same room, that, you know, all around Manhattan, all around Greenwich Village, all around the United States, all around the world, at a certain time, most of these mothers are in their children's room, reading them the book and rocking them back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful visualization that I've become curious about and also handed myself the knowledge by doing the research and I've found that to be really beneficial. Yeah, agreed. I mean, we're, we're not alone, but there are, like you said, so many moments in motherhood that make you feel that way. So I'm, I'm glad that you found this podcast and, and identify with that message because it's certainly what I'm going for. I remember, I don't know if you listened to Morgan Hutchinson's episode. Um, she was the founder mm-hmm. of Guru. She was amazing. But her, her pick your, there's a, there's a few guests who had lines that I reference frequently. And hers with pick your perfect was one of my favorite to date because it was, it's true. You know, we see everything on Instagram. Um, we feel alone because that mom looks like she's doing it all. But really that mom's not doing it all. She's just putting up the perfect that she has in her life on Instagram. You know, we mm-hmm. all have to decide what we want to be good at and let the other stuff go. So. Absolutely. So walk us through a typical day in your life. Um, Do you have any routines, um, support systems, outsourcing of tasks, that kind of thing that help you manage having an 11 month old and your own practice? So my husband and I have over time found our perfect routine and I have to give him credit. He Um, calls himself, you know, back of house. And he really is taking care of everything from cleaning the bottles to doing Lane's laundry, anything that might get in the way of me having time with our daughter, he is happy to take care of. And for that, I am truly forever grateful. But our morning routine is that Danny goes and wakes Lane up and that's their alone time. He gets her out of the crib, changes her diaper, and then he brings her to me for breakfast in bed. I, That's so sweet. 
it really, it's my favorite. I think it's our shared favorite moment because he gets to be the first thing Lane sees and then she gets to kind of snuggle up with me. I am very proud to still be able to be breastfeeding Lane. And I just love those intimate moments together. There's something really special about being the only one that does something for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the moments of nursing her, especially in the morning when we can snuggle up together. And after that, Lane's amazing nanny comes a handful of days during the week that I am with clients. And she has Lane for about 10 hours. And I'm very lucky most of the days I work from home in running my business. So I'm able to pop in and out of their day together. And, you know, when Lane is with her nanny, I really try my best to get everything done that needs to be completed. Of course, that never happens. But my goal is to be in touch with friends and family. I try to move my body as best as I can, even if that is my walk to pick up coffee. And then it's really finding balance. I found myself when I first went back to work feeling as though I don't have my daughter, so I need to do every moment has to be optimized and I have to get every single thing done before the clock hits six. And I used to think my um, carriage was turning into a pumpkin at six o'clock because I could no longer do any of my work. And it was extremely anxiety provoking. So once I was able to realize everything didn't have to get done and that some hours of that time without Lane also needed to be for taking care of myself, I think I found this better balance, but it's really through supports, whether it's, you know, having a great partner, having a great nanny. I have an amazing executive assistant from Your Assistant is Here, and she takes care of everything for my business, but also when I need something done, like calling Lane's doctor to get us on a wait list. And sometimes you got to ask someone else to do it. So I think it's having people who are working with you that you really trust and who support you and believe in you. But it's also asking, you know, those supports like your husband. Luckily, my younger sister lives in my building, which is the greatest gift that I, you know, one of my best gifts I've ever received. So to just have her pop in has been great. But it's really giving myself permission not to do everything mm-hmm. and asking for the help and being okay receiving it has been key in my success here. I love that. And I love what you said about not feeling like you need to optimize every second of every day and run around like a crazy person, because I think that is so common with moms of young children to be like, oh my gosh, I have an hour. Like how much can I get done? And it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do have to have that mentality to an extent when you have young kids, because time is just time alone is that much more precious Nowhere and, to be and you, found. right you do need to be efficient but there is something to be said for doing something for yourself or just you know giving yourself some some freedom to not run around like a lunatic while your child is being watched by someone else and you know <laughs> sit there and and you know do, take your time with something versus rushing through everything because at the end of the day if you're rushing through everything you're just going to be so stressed out about it <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be no. done but it, it, you won't feel calm Absolutely. And I always laugh when people would say, sleep when the baby sleeps Yep. <laughs> at the beginning. Like how? Tell me how anything will get done if I am resting when my daughter is resting. It, it's just such a funny phrase that has continued through the ages. But I think that it creates such an unrealistic expectation for the new mom or for any mom, really, unfortunately. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> it's funny you say that because I just had my second, obviously. Um, and I've been waking up at 6am regardless of whether he's up or not, because I just need that time to myself. And I find like in the middle of the day, if I take an hour for myself, I get like much more stressed about it. Um, mm-hmm. But at 6am, I'm like, there's nothing else that really no no one needs me. So I just make my coffee and, you know, I send some emails and do a few podcast things. But it's like, it's not rushed. And it's such a nice time of day for me for that reason. Well, it's just an hour where you're genuinely in control of it. Right. That's a good point. (laughs) I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but it's a good point. Speaking of all of this, obviously therapy can be incredibly beneficial for people of all ages, women of all ages, but especially for new moms, there's a hormonal component to pregnancy and the postpartum period. Um, There's a lot of life changes after having a kid. And also you don't have the time to yourself and and to your partner that you once did. So there's just a lot going on. Therapy can obviously be really, really beneficial for for new moms. But at the same time, um, they're dealing with this massive lifestyle change, a lot less time to themselves, and frequently a lot less disposable income to spend on themselves. Um, So what advice do you have for moms who think they'd benefit from therapy, but see time or cost as a barrier? Um, How would you, you tell them to approach getting help? So I find that a lot of the barriers tend to be from the unasked question. So a lot of people don't understand that therapy, they can get reimbursement through their insurance, they can get coverage through insurance, and the time, I'm absolutely with you. So something I hear from not even new moms, but just everyone is, I don't, I can't find the time. If we're waiting to find the time, you're never going to find it. I think it's really about prioritizing it and making the time for yourself. And when it comes to scheduling, I think it's just important to find a therapist and find a practice that understands realistically what can work for you. And I find that so many of our new moms need flexibility in scheduling, but they also need someone who's okay speaking to them on the phone while they go on the walk because their daughter can't fall asleep or is okay speaking to them, you know, during the nap time and being told what that nap time is going to look like a few weeks in advance or a few days in advance, or, you know, if your therapist has the flexibility of day of letting them know I need to start 15 minutes later. Mm -hmm. So I think it's finding someone who's humanistic. And then it's really doing the research and finding a practice that may offer group therapy for new moms or therapy on a sliding scale or may have clinical fellows who are at a less expensive rate. But we really try to hire and train our therapists. And we have our maternal specialists who understand the flexibility that's needed and through our office and through Jessica who is again my executive assistant who truly runs my life at this point (laughs) she verifies our clients coverage so they understand what it looks like and then she also helps them find the right provider at the right time so we really see a potential client entering our practice as a concierge service and really trying to accommodate every aspect of what someone needs because humans are not cookie cutter and especially new moms or anyone, you know, living a full life really does need someone to help them understand. Here's what insurance looks like. We're going to help you file that so that you don't have added paperwork onto your already busy life. And we're also going to help you fit it into your schedule as best as we can. So it's really finding a practice that can accommodate and can also understand what you're experiencing that I think is so helpful. But I think there's also something outside of just therapy, something very therapeutic of building your mom tribe and building your group 
And I think it takes a lot of time, but even to find one like-minded individual having a similar experience to yourself can be so therapeutic and so eye-opening. So I don't think every person needs to be necessarily in therapy to find understanding and support. That's a really good point. And also just finding flexibility is so key. You're right. I know a lot of practices understandably can't offer that flexibility. It depends, you know, what they specialize in, what the therapist's life looks like. Lots of, you know, moving parts Lots there. Lots of moving parts. Yeah. <laughs> but that is a really good point and a good tip. What do you see as the most common or recurring issues that new moms face? I think isolation, self-criticism, and a lack of normalizing. So that isolation in that, you know, so often people think, oh, you're on maternity leave. It must be so great. And the time with your baby is great, but I think it's stressful. I think for especially new parents, they're figuring it out for the first time. And that really can lead to a lot of isolation and feeling alone. Um, The self-criticism comes in with that, um, like I shared earlier, the mother I pictured versus the mother that I am. I think so often people think, oh, I'm just going to figure it out. It's going to come natural to me. And that's great for some people when it does. But I think for many of us, you have no idea what you're doing. You're guessing. Your child's changing every day. So trying not to criticize yourself if you're not doing it however you expected correct or right to look like. And then that lack of normalizing, again, comparing to that Instagram mom or who we think is that Instagram mom or that Instagram life. I think so many people post something and we all want to post the best version of ourselves and there's nothing wrong with that. I think the problem is with the consumer who sees that and takes it as someone's entire life. And when I'm sitting and I see this beautiful Easter photo of this family that got all the kids to look at the photo and I'm sitting here in, you know, my sweatpants that have a little bit of Lane's raspberry smeared on it, it can lead you to feel like your life is really not pulled together. And I think those imperfections as the viewer um, show you that it's a life well lived and make it realistic. And if we can infuse the humor, I think that so much of being a new parent and being a parent in general would feel a lot lighter and would reduce that isolation, that self-criticism, that lack of feeling a sense of community. It's a great point that the mother you pictured who you would be versus who you are is so influenced by social media too. Um, I mean, obviously we're all on social media. There's great pieces of it, but there's also really terrible pieces of it. I remember I saw a reel recently where a, a mom was like, this is what my life looks like on maternity leave. And she was, you know, making herself a smoothie and going to the grocery store and showering and using her Dyson for her hair. And she was absolutely getting roasted in the comments and I I read through some of them and I remember thinking like, okay, well, this is, I don't think it's fair on either side. She probably shouldn't be saying that her life looks this, you know, it's this easy postpartum because she's not showing everything. She wasn't showing diaper changes, for instance, which definitely had to happen. But then everyone was also like, oh, well, you know, she's lying or she, you know, she had must have so much money to be able to do this. And I'm like, well, it could also be somewhere in the middle, you know, where she maybe isn't showing everything and she could be more realistic, but also she might just have an easy baby. So it's, we all just compare ourselves so much to what we see on social media. Yeah. And I give individuals who put themselves fully out there so much credit because I think people love to have an issue with something. Mm -hmm. People love to have a villain. And the truth is if people were posting, you know, their smeared sweatpants and their messy life, 
I'm not sure that people would find it necessarily as interesting. It would be more relatable, but I think if you're looking for that very authentic full spectrum life, I think it's worthwhile to look at the people, the real people in your everyday life and to put a mirror on yourself rather than looking to social media, which I think is created to be interesting and created for people to, you know, not idolize, but admire what someone else has. If you want everyday life, I I just think there's so much value in putting the phone down Mm -hmm. and experiencing it yourself and allowing yourself to be the expert rather than looking to those individuals who are posting to be your Northern star. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good reminder. Um, It is easy to, allow you know you see an influencer as a kid your age um and you just say okay well i'm gonna follow this person because they know you know what's up with a three-year-old but they really don't have any more experience than you do and connecting with someone in person is actually probably just a much better way to feel that feeling of isolation Yes. And I think that that individual is a great person to see for creative ideas. I think if they're Montessori or they do baby led weaning, that's great. Or if you love the outfits they put on their son, also fabulous. But identify the aspect of their life that you're interested in, you're curious about and focus there. Don't look at it as an example of someone's full 100% experience. And I think that's where we go wrong. I love that. I love that. Identify what draws you to them and then focus on that and not the whole picture. That's such a great takeaway. I need to do that more with the people I follow on Instagram. Um, I've never heard someone express it like that, but it's it's such a good such a good point. I love it. Similarly, you do offer couples counseling and <laughs> the time after having a baby is rough on most relationships, no matter how great you know, your relationship is, how much you love each other. It's a big time of transition. Um, So what do you think that the most common issues couples face when having a child together is? I think unmet needs and unmet expectations are the largest things, as well as lack of communication. So the first thing is anytime we're feeling stress or anytime there's a lack of sleep, communication breaks down Um, And that sense of community seems to break down a little bit. It sort of seems to become every man for himself. And we got to keep this baby afloat. So I think communicating ahead of having a child to the best of your ability of what your hopes are and what your expectations are, and then really ensuring that you're communicating along the way. If there is something your partner is not doing that you would like them to be doing, or if you'd like something to be done differently, I think to share it right when you notice it rather than allowing that resentment to build can be key. And it can be something so small. I think so many clients, and this is couples therapy in general, but um, young children in particular, they feel as though they can't speak up unless it's a really big problem or until the resentment of small things just builds up, builds up, builds up, and then there's an explosion. And when we had our daughter, I really took what I've seen in couples therapy and applied it um, to my own relationship. And a silly example, but I think a really worthwhile example is taking a child out of the bathtub. So my husband is at work. I typically do Lane's bath on my own. And when I take her out of the bath, I situate her in her towel. We go to her bedroom fine. When my husband is home, I like him to do bath time and sort of engage in any of the activities that he doesn't have the luxury of doing with Lane when he's at work. 
And the first few times he would hand me Lane, he would hand her face forward to me. And it wasn't a problem, but it was a little stressful having to flip a newborn and put her into a towel. I think especially the first few weeks, you're so afraid Mm -hmm. of anything happening. And I remember the first few times I thought, oh, this isn't ideal. And then I decided to just ask him, can you pick the baby up facing you and hand her with her back facing me so that she lands right into the towel? And it was the easiest thing to say. At the time, it seemed so silly, but it's a perfect representation of just a slight tweak that affects no one could really have optimized that experience. And I could have not said something and found it annoying and frustrating for the next, you know, six years of our life. Or speaking up and just asking for that simple request, we now laugh about it because it makes perfect sense and the bath time flows so much better. So I think it's being open to giving feedback, but more importantly, being open to receiving feedback and sharing a need rather than a criticism. So really seeing yourself and your partner as a team rather than two solo players will be key. And then just noticing where that communication breakdown is and trying to repair those experiences. And I use the word repair. And what I really mean in an example is just leaning towards each other rather than away. So if there's a problem, if there's a conflict, rather than separating and being frustrated and angry, It's figuring out how can we come together together to quickly resolve this and ensure that we both feel supported. And it's not realistic that you and your partner are not going to have conflict or there's not going to be problems. There will. But if we're assuming the best in our partner and we're seeing each other as a team, we're much more likely to come together and tackle that problem, you know, as the collective. It reminds me of, um, I'm not sure if you've read the Atlantic article about like, I got divorced because my I left my dirty dishes by the sink. Have you seen that one? I haven't read it, but I'm going to. Um, it's a really good one. I believe he has a book as well, but everything that you just said really speaks to the message of the article, which is basically that you, you have to deal with the little things before they become big things, because that's, you know, that's, that's how marriages fail. People think they're always like these giant, you know, gaping wounds in a, in a marriage, but a lot of marriages fail, especially after children, because of, you know, it's like a, a million paper cuts. So it's, it's really good advice. Um, highly recommend the article if you haven't Right. Yep. It's a good oh, I'm one. Definitely going to check it out. And I also love the idea that's really been introduced recently of mental load mm-hmm. and how much mental load women carry. Yes. And I think, you know, anyone that spends time on TikTok that has a parenting algorithm has definitely seen it. But for anyone else, I think it's a really important conversation to start having in partnerships. And no one realizes the invisible work. And I think that invisible work is so true in motherhood, just past the mental load of how do you think the baby's diaper bag gets packed? Or how do you think she always has that lunch ready for her? Right. And I think there's just so much preparation and so much, you know, energy that goes into so much that's unseen and unappreciated. And I think that if we can make that invisible work a little less invisible, we would get a bit more appreciation and a little less resentment mixed in. 100%. And it's so good that people are starting to have those conversations. Um, Obviously, I'm sure they'll take time on a, you know, a societal level to really kick in on a a macro level. But it's, it's great that they are, you know, there's, there's a pro of social media, you know, you see the the TikToks and, and people are getting exposed to the idea men, especially. What advice would you give to a mom who's about to have her first child? And is there anything that you wish you knew before you had your daughter? I think to allow yourself to own the fact that you 
genuinely have no idea what you're doing. Even in the hospital, I found myself saying, yes, I know. Yes, I, I'm with you on that. And I think I was trying to sort of dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Mm-hmm. Sort of pretend like I knew what was going on, even if I didn't, because if I admitted that I didn't know what was going on, how are they going to let me leave with this baby? <laughs> if I admitted that I did not know what to do when she was crying, how could I be a good mother? And I think admitting what we don't know is so powerful. And when I hire new therapists to work for me, I always say to them, the greatest hire is someone who can admit what they don't know and ask those questions. And at first I didn't apply that for myself. And over time I have, and I would just encourage anyone to be able to admit and own the fact that you don't know everything that's going on and you want to gather the information as you experience it. And I think that the transition into motherhood would be much more compassionate if we gave ourselves that permission and the individual who was being asked to educate also did so with compassion. Yeah, it's love that tip. None of us knew anything in the hospital. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a really good piece of advice that all moms should keep in mind for sure. Are there any moms that you love to follow um, either on social media or just in real life uh, for inspiration professionally as a mom? I love Mother Untitled. Yes. It's, do you know her? I'm having her on in a couple weeks. (laughs) Oh my God. She is so fabulous. She's amazing. So, oh my God. I could read her stuff all day long. And I did not take a career pause But I have shifted the way in which I am currently working and the ways in which I hope to work in the future. And it's just, you know, a bit more to control my experience and also to grow and support my business and those who work for me. But I find so much of what she shares to be so valuable. And then I really find myself falling into three categories otherwise. Um, It's this Montessori rabbit hole of creating um, play experiences and learning experiences for my daughter. So I really like daily underscore Montessori. I also probably follow eight other Montessori accounts. And am I hardcore Montessori? No. Do I like the um, thoughtfulness and the space for children to learn at their own pace? Absolutely. And then I also, shockingly for myself, because I don't like messes, I really got into baby led weaning and I follow a handful of accounts and my favorite is feeding underscore Taylor. And my reason for that is really that her daughter is about five months ahead of mine. So I'm able to see what she's doing and file it all away. I think I recently read something that there's kind of the perfect mom friend and it's someone you would genuinely be friends with someone who lives close to you and someone whose child is around the same age. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was so amazing. And I feel as though this woman whose daughter's name is Taylor, I have no idea who she is, is sort of that perfect virtual mom friend for me because she's doing everything a few months ahead so I can see her errors, I can learn from her mistakes and hopefully sort of optimize it for my own experience. But I love any of those accounts that have that educational piece and I know that when I go to her account, I'm looking to see what she's feeding her daughter. I love whatever Easter egg outfit she wore. I don't really care, though. I wish her well, but I'm (laughs) really looking for the food. And when I'm looking at the Montessori's, you know, I don't actually care how clean and beautiful and pristine their nursery is. I'm looking to see how they set up that textured dig. 
that I hope to do in the future. Um, but I really find, and then of course there's, you know, a few accounts that I just love their children's outfits, but I've already shopped two seasons ahead for Lane. So I'm trying to slow that down right now, but mother untitled that if there is one person someone should follow, I think it's that account. She is so well-spoken. The work that she's doing is so important, not just for stay at home moms or moms who take a career pause, but for, for all women really. So speaking of accounts, last question, where can listeners find yours? So our website is manhattanwellness.org. And that's really where you can learn about the company, learn about the business, where we can support potential clients. But our Instagram is at manhattan.wellness. And I started the account about, uh, I'd say 10 years ago. And at first it was just quotes and, you know, positive thoughts. And it's really grown to be an amazing resource. And it's where a lot of our clients find us. We find that the best content that we can put out is something that's shareable and serves someone beyond just our clientele. So when someone goes to our account, they're going to find information on anxiety, depression, postpartum, just life stressors and tips and tricks and ideas of what they can do with it, as well as a bit of light humor. We love a good meme. We love a little sarcasm. And again, it's just adding that laughter into a scenario that would have been otherwise serious. Love that. We all need to laugh a little bit more. (laughs) So I will link all of those in the show notes, um, both the accounts you mentioned and your own accounts that listeners can check it out. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved this conversation. I think you had a great perspective on on so much. Um, Really loved your social media takeaways, especially. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. And thank you for creating what you did. Like I said, it was probably a pumping session at 9 p.m. (laughs) where I found you. But when you find that good account that really resonates and you can sink your teeth into it, it just gives you a whole new perspective. So thank you for carving that out. I absolutely agree. So I'm glad you enjoy it as well. You can follow Manhattan Wellness on Instagram at manhattan.wellness and check out the website at manhattanwellness.org. All links to Jennifer's mentions are listed on her guest list post on motherhooddesign.com. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and the small business owners it features. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating or review on Apple or Spotify. I appreciate your support in doing so. You can also follow along with the podcast at Motherhood Design on Instagram or motherhooddesign.com for more info about guests, including their mentions and recommendations from each episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today and until next time.